Welcome back to These Are the Words. I'm Eric Grun, and we're going to be reading a book called The Kingdom of the Occult by Walter Martin, H. Kurt Van Gordon, and uh, Walter Martin wrote a book called The Kingdom of the Cults. And this is a follow-up. This book is a follow-up to that book, The Cults, and it's called The Kingdom of the Occult. All right. <clears throat> and I'm just going to start with chapter one, The Kingdom of the Occult. It is sad and frightening. It is a sad and frightening fact. People are fat secret or occult things. Occult means hidden. Hidden things, the occult things that God has condemned. And they give a scripture here, Deuteronomy 18, chapter 18, verse through 12. Let's look up that, that, that verse. Deuteronomy... <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 18. Verses 12. Deuteronomy chapter 18 verses 9 through 12 says, uh, When you, this is a, a, section of the of chapter 18 called spiritism forbidden when you enter the land which the lord your god gives you you shall not learn to the detestable things of those nations <clears throat> so god was getting ready to give the israelites the hebrew israelites the of canaan and so he said, to the land which the Lord gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. There shall not be among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. Nation, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or... Or one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who cup the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. <clears throat> you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For those nations which you shall dispossess, listen to those who practice witchcraft and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up like me from among you, from your countrymen, you shall listen to him. 
This is according to all that you asked of the Lord on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire any more, or I will die. The Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth that I commanded him. It shall come about that who will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. So now we see, uh, uh, okay, it goes on to, it finishes off with uh, with the Lord saying, You may say in your heart, Know the word which the Lord has not spoken. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So we see 18 of Deuteronomy Verse 9 through 22, God is giving the instructions to Israel about not listening to diviners, or those who cast lots or cast omens or, you know, use all kinds of like divination tools of divination to divine what the spirits have to say. And that is a practice in the occult and in many animistic religions and uh, God does not want them to and it's interesting because the word nakash which is the word for the serpent that was in the garden of Eden one of the meanings of nakash is a diviner so um so a diviner or a sorcerer or someone who reads omen, uh, who reads, who, who tells the future or, or who tries to find out what the spirits are saying with uh, using casting lots or casting shells or casting divination tools is the enemy of God. It is detestable to the Lord. That one, that, that person is detestable to God, to Yahuwah. To, to Yahweh Adonai. And so, um, so Moses is basically saying uh, that the Lord will raise up a prophet in order to guide the nation of Israel. Be a diviner. That that prophet will not be a diviner. That will that prophet will not be a diviner. That prophet will only be uh, the Lord will speak to that that prophet. And the prophet will only speak the words that God gives him. Okay, so we continue the kingdom of the occult. One cannot see a movie like Harry Potter or read The Exorcist, which presents Satan unvarnished, out demonic, which presents Satan unvarnished 
and portrays the truth about demonic possession in terms everyone can understand, without being plunged into the core of the occult. Today there is a tremendous fascination with the mysterious and the unknown. The great scholar C.S. Lewis wrote, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a magician with the same delight. The modern age is strong proof of this unhealthy fascination. People are attracted to evil and, and captivated by it. They are vulnerable to temptation because of a growing revolt against science and technology that, for all their efforts, cannot meet man's spiritual hunger. People are asking, if science and technology are supposed to produce all the good things, why haven't they accomplished it? Instead, there is a continuous degradation of tea. People are not treated as human beings anymore, but as computer data, numbers assigned from whom, from womb to tomb. Numbers assigned from womb to tomb. Today, a terrible spiritual vacuum exists in which people are forced to live because they turn from the living God and try to fill the resulting emptiness with physical pleasure. Man crowds into this vacuum all the moral and ethical values attached to the material world. Again and again, people protest, there's got to be something more than this, because we're not satisfied. Satisfaction has not come through the dollar sign. Satisfaction has not come through the pill. Satisfaction has not come through economic aggrandizement or political conquest or military supremacy. Lost in a spiritual void, the human heart searches for some kind of reality apart from God and His Word, and discovers the occult reality from another dimension. Today, the kingdom of the occult encompasses the globe, the, encompasses the globe-like, okay, today the kingdom of the occult encompasses the globe like a spider web of immense proportions. Its overall membership estimated in the hundreds of millions. It is the purpose of this book to investigate this dimension of darkness and to examine its influence in America and throughout the world. It is also our aim to familiarize readers with the refreshing truths of the gospel of Christ that they may see, that they may see the great heritage that is ours in the Christian faith and be challenged to live and to witness more, effect, more effectively for the Savior. Our approach to the subject is threefold. Historical analysis of key facts connected with the rise of the occult. Theological evaluation of the occult's, the occult's major teachings. And apologetic contrast from the viewpoint of biblical theology with an emphasis upon exegesis and doctrine. A study of the occult is a serious business. Its teachings 
represent a growing spiritual force in the world today, a force intent on turning people away from established Christian churches and the historic teachings of the Bible. The Dimension of Darkness The Bible is a dimensional book in the sense that a dimension is a realm of reality, sometimes imperceptible, but nonetheless genuine. Human beings live in a dimension subject to the five senses, and they tend to make the mistake of believing that anything beyond the realm of those senses simply is not there. To accept such reasoning, to accept such reasoning would be a fatal mistake from the biblical perspective. Even as people live in the dimension of earth, so the Bible says there is another dimension of heaven where God reigns as sovereign. This second dimension of heaven, or the throne of God himself, is more real than human senses can perceive. It is a dimension that has that was bridged it is a dimension that was bridged when God chose to become man in the person of Jesus Christ. Because of him, mankind now has access to a realm of infinite indescribable love and causedness. The third dimension is one of spiritual darkness, controlled by Satan and his hosts. The Bible describes it as hell or the alienation of the spiritual nature of man from fellowship with his creator. It belongs to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. This, <clears throat> that's in the Bible. This dimension is portrayed in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, where the warning is given that it is the domain of the forces of incalculable wickedness presided over by the one whom the Bible designates as the ruler of this world and the God of this age. That's in John chapter 14, verse 30, and 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4. Verse 4. This domain is described variously in the Bible as outer darkness. That's Matthew chapter 8, verse 12, chapter 22, verse 13, chapter 25, verse 30, and fire. Matthew chap, uh, chapter 5, verse 22, chapter 13, verse 42, chapter 18, verse 8, chapter 9, chapter 25, verse 41, Mark chapter 9, verse 22 to, to 49, and suffering, Ju uh, uh, that's in Jude chapter 7, consciousness of separation from God and fear of others suffering the same. That's chapter, uh, and fear of others suffering the same. Chapter, uh, uh, that's in the book of Luke, chapter 16, verse 19 through 31. And prison, and it's also referred to as prison. First uh, uh, Peter, chapter 3, verse 19. And metaphorically, a vast lake of molten sulfur from which there is no deliverance. That's Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, chapter 20, verse 10, chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 21, verse 8. Perhaps this dimension is best described in terms of the condition of its, of its occupants, who are portrayed as wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. 
Uh, that's in Jude chapter 13. The Apostle Peter indicated that some of the fallen angels were already chained in the darkness of hell, awaiting judgment. God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. That's in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. It is possible then that hell may be one dimension with many levels, some restrictive and some not, since Satan and an unknown number of his demons are still free to roam the earth. Biblical theology teaches us that Jesus Christ came into the world to deliver men from, his, from this darkness. To deliver all people from this darkness. It says, but the, the book says men. From this darkness. Because originally hell, originally hell was prepared not for man, but for Satan and his followers. They go there by divine decree. While man is the only creation that chooses it freely. This is clearly derived from Jesus' words. He will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, you cursed, into the everlasting, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. So, uh, in spite of what the book says, yes, we do choose it freely of our own accord to go to hell, but it is by divine decree that we go to hell if we die in our sin and do not and do not come to faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, <clears throat> whatever hell's dimension may be, one thing is absolutely certain: if it required the death of the most perfect being whoever lived to deliver us from it, then it is to be avoided at all costs. It is against this domain of darkness that the Christian is in mortal combat, and not against mere flesh and blood. This dimension is the unopened door with its handle on our side in the dimension of earth. It is with the tools of the occult that men open this door, and through it proceeds the power of awesome evil. There is no force on earth that can overpower Satan except Jesus, who is head of all principalities and powers, and of the church, which is his body. That's in Colossians, the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 15 through 22 through 20, and the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 12. Satan, yesterday and today. Down through history, Satan's public awareness has ranged from fascinating to revolting, and as far back as scholars can teach into the study of religion, they find some kind of concept or image of him, although his name often varies. The Chaldeans and Babylonians, for example, produced numerous caricatures and portrayals of Satan. 
Resh Lakish comments in the Babylonian Talmud that Satan, the evil prompter, and the angel of death are all one. However, the clearest picture of Satan, the clearest picture of Satan, alias the devil, the adversary, Abaddon, or Abaddon, Belial, or Beelzebub, or Baal-zebub, from 2 Kings verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, appears in the New Testament. These are the aliases of, the devil, of, of Satan. They appear in the New Testament. It is important to understand the clear biblical picture of the nature of Satan in order to grasp the in order to grasp the power of the occult. According to Ezekiel 28, chapter 28, Satan, called the king of Tyre, or the king of Tyre, the king of Tyre, the king of Tyre, is probably most likely the king of Tyre, was once a beautiful created being, a marvelous messenger of light. Now, that is uh, an interpretation of some people um, the, that Ezekiel 28, that Satan is the king of Tyre. Tyre was a city in Babylon, in ancient Babylon. Okay. Tyre was a city in ancient, in, in ancient uh, Babylon. So uh, that's an interpretation that, that people say that uh, Satan is the king of Tyre, but... It, it may just have been that Ezekiel 28 was actually written to about the king of Tyre. It, it was actually written about the king of Tyre, but it, it may not be Satan that, that Ezekiel 28 is talking about. But that's that's according to the interpretation that that, that the writer of this book takes, uh, that, that he believes in. Okay. Um so, Satan, called the king of Tyre, was once a beautiful created being, a marvelous messenger of light. Satan's original name, Lucifer, means light bearer. And he occupied a position of tremendous privilege and responsibility in the kingdom of heaven. Now, Lucifer is a word that's a Latin word that was put into the Latin version of the Bible. But uh, what the actual um, name was uh, in Hebrew? Uh, let me look. Let me look it up real quick. Uh, let's see. Uh, 
Oh, okay. Halel ben Shahar. It was translated as Lucifer in the Vulgate, in the Latin Vulgate, and preserved in the early English translations of the Bible. Um, it actually refers to the rise and disappearance of the morning star Venus. Venus. Venus is called the morning star in the phrase, O light bringer, son of the dawn. So Halel ben Shahar means uh, uh, light bringer, son of the dawn, basically. Light bringer, son of the dawn, Halel ben Shahar, which was actually what it said in Ezekiel 28. I think, it, let me just double check on that. So again, these are translations that are that are that are different, um, and these are belief systems. Like they're they're kind of um, their beliefs based on what the the version of the Bible that uh, that this author is, is reading. Let me see. Um. <clears throat> Yeah, because there's a prophecy in Ezekiel 28 against the king of Tyre. It doesn't necessarily mean that the king of Tyre is Satan, but um, let me see. Okay, uh, let me see. Okay. <laughs> okay, um... Uh, <coughs> oh, okay, wait a minute. That's, uh, let me see. CQ.
Because, well, in Ezekiel it says you were in Eden, the garden of God. Um, so we only know that it, uh, there's only three people who we know of in Eden. That's uh, Adam, Eve, and then the serpent. Um, lift it up because of your beauty... Actually, uh, Lucifer is not mentioned in Ezekiel 28. Uh, and, but he is mentioned so in Isaiah 14. So Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14, verse 12. Verse 12. Okay, yeah. Hallel. Hallel. The, the it says Lucifer in the Latin Vulgate it says how how you are fallen from heaven uh Hallel Hallel Ben Hallel Hallel Ben Shahar Hallel son of the morning Ben means son of and Shahar means of the morning so Hallel, the name is actually Hallel, not Lucifer. Lucifer was something that the that they later on the translators put in there as a name meaning shining one. Lucifer was was a name that was given to the sun. It was also it means shining one. And <clears throat> that's also because also in Garden of Eden, the serpent is Nachash. Nachash, Nachash, is also meaning shining one. It also means shining one, and Hallel also means shining one. So uh, this person, this person is is named uh, where Isaiah, uh, the person Isaiah is talking about, is named Hallel Ben Shachar. Hallel, son of the morning. Hallel, son of the morning. So, in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel, I'm going to read to you now, Ezekiel, the prophecy against the king of Tyr. And again came the word of Yahweh to me, saying, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, Thus says the Lord God, Yahweh, because, or Yahuwah, because, uh, because your heart is lifted up, and you say, and you say, I am 
in the seat of the gods, and I sit in the midst of the seas, and yet you are a man. You see, Ezekiel, he says, he calls, he calls the king of Tyre a man, and yet you are a man. So that it is not, and yet you are a man. So it is, the king of Tyre is not uh, um, an angel or something like that. Yet you are a man and not a god, not an L. And though you set your heart as the heart of a god, and though you set your heart as the heart of Elohim, of being a, being an Elohim, though you though that in your heart you want to be an Elohim, in other words, behold, it says, behold, um, let's see, let me let me get a little bit of help here. Behold, it's a little bit, I'm reading the interlinear version with the uh, Hebrew, so it's a little bit hard to, I need some assistance with the translation. Uh, oh, that's, uh, Okay, uh, because your heart is haughty, it says in the, okay, and you have said, I am a God. Okay, behold, you are wiser than Daniel. Behold, you are wiser than Daniel. Uh, there is no secret that is a match for you. There is no secret that is a match for you. By your wisdom and understanding, you have acquired riches for yourself and have acquired gold and silver for your treasuries. By your great wisdom, by your trade, you have increased your riches and your heart is haughty because of your riches. Okay? So we see clearly now, it's not... Later on, he says, Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, take up a song of mourning over the king of Tyr, and say to him, this is what the Lord God says. You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby and the topaz and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the, tur the turquoise and the emerald, and the, the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared for the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. <clears throat> you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. 
You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness, unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God. And I have destroyed you, you covering cherub. From the midst of the stones of fire, your heart was haughty because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I threw you to the ground. I threw you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. By the multitude of your wrongdoings in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore I have brought fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you, and you have become terrified. You have become terrified, and you will cease to be forever. You will cease to be forever. So, it's, it's very colorful language that God is using here. It's not necessarily that it was uh, literal, that, you know, he's, he's, he's making a lot of uh, references to how wealthy he is, how wealthy he was, how wise he was, how, um, you know, how skillful he was, and, and, uh, and how blessed he was, that he's, he's like compared to like a, a, a cherub, a cherub or cherub or an like an angel, a cherub or, or cherub. Ezekiel, if I go to Ezekiel 14, uh, okay. Ezekiel 14, cherub or cherub. A cherub is a, an order of angelic beings. It's like the cherubim. The cherubim is the the word is uncertain, but it's it's most likely a probably a, a an order an order of angelic beings. Of uh, it's 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 meant to say that he says he calls him anointed. He calls him anointed, but it's meant to say that he was like chosen. That he was like someone that was like, you know, in the council of God or in the company of God. He was on the holy mountain of God, you know. Uh, you walked back and forth uh, uh, in the midst of the fiery stones. You know, the fiery stones. I don't, you know, I'm not sure what that is. But, you know, it says you were perfect in your ways. You know, he's likened unto some kind of like a, you know, some kind of like perfected being or, you know, a person who was like worthy of being like in the company of God. Um, uh, like he had, because of the beauty, your heart uh, was lifted, you know, your heart was corrupted. Because of your beauty, your heart was corrupted. So, you know, it was somebody that like, that he became too proud in all for for all of the riches that he had the all of the wealth that he had he became too proud but it's a man it's a man it's not 
it's not meant to be taken like it, like he's saying like you were in the garden of of God you know you were in Eden the garden of God it's like to say like you were you were you know in paradise it's like like you were in paradise but you you became very proud and arrogant and full of yourself and so therefore you fell and you know I basically he says I consumed you I turned you to to ashes on the earth it doesn't mean that God literally turned him into ashes on the earth but it just means that he crushed him his he put him to shame he crushed his his proud his his pride he crushed his arrogance he put him to shame and now like everyone hates him you know he he he's uh everyone is appalled at him everyone is you know like he's he he went from being brave and like proud of himself and conceited and arrogant to becoming terrified and 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 basically belittled and he became little and less less than anything like he he became ashamed and he it says you will cease to be forever it means you know like your, you know, your power will is it will cease to be. Your confidence will cease to be. Your faith will cease to be. Everything that is good about you will cease to be. But it's a it's it's to a man that he gives this prophecy to Ezekiel that is meant to be uh, said to spoken to a man. But but there is an interpretation that often Christians have that uh, it it makes it out to be. This this the this Hillel, uh, is he's called Hillel son of the morning that he is like actually Satan. Um. Anyway, but it's not necessarily. Uh, it doesn't say that. It doesn't really say that in the in the in Ezekiel, and it doesn't really say that in Isaiah either. Actually, so anyway, continuing on. Today, many popular teachers state that Satan was the most beautiful of God's creations, but this is a claim that cannot be proven since beautiful is the only description given. The Bible reveals that Lucifer was hurled from his high position in heaven. He was quite literally driven out by Michael, the archangel, uh, who fought against him until the power of God prevailed. Uh, that's in Revelation chapter 12, verse uh, 7 through 9. That's, not, that's actually not correct. That's that's a common misconception that people that there is a um, there is a mythology that has been made out of uh, Revelations chapter twelve verse seven through nine that says that um, Michael casted out Satan with a bunch of angels that Satan caused to rebel against God, but it doesn't really say that actually. Like uh, it's it it doesn't say that really. Um, it does. It, first of all, Lucifer is not mentioned in um, in the Book of Revelation. Uh, it, it does say in the Book of Revelation. It does say uh, "son of the morning" or "son of the dawn," but it doesn't. It doesn't say that about. It says that about Jesus. It doesn't say that about Lucifer. It, Lucifer is, is not a name that's in in the Book of Revelation. It uses the dragon. Michael casted the dragon out. Michael the archangel casted the dragon out of the heavens and cast him down to the earth. 
and the dragon took uh, his tail and cast uh, a third of the stars down to the earth. Uh, but we don't know what that actually means. Uh, and this was the dragon that was in reference. This was in reference to the, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. So um, it had to do with the time of that Jesus was being born. And uh, Herod, the king of, of uh, Judea in that time, was seeking to kill. Um, he killed all the firstborn sons of of people in the whole region and he because he was trying to kill Jesus what when Jesus was being born he was trying to kill Jesus because there was a star that uh, astrologers followed and those were the three magi that they followed that star to find Jesus and Herod had astrologers, King Herod had astrologers that worked for him, and he knew of that star, and that star meant that there was a king being born, and his astrologers told Herod that there was a king being born, and so Herod felt threatened by the, 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 the sign that there's a king being born, and he sought to be uh, to kill all the firstborn sons of that were being born uh, in that area to be able to kill Jesus because he felt he felt that his position as king was threatened. So, um, so we don't really know what that means. Like the the we don't really know what the what what it means that Michael cast the dragon out of heaven and that. Uh, it may have to do with the astrology that happened and the way that that, that uh, uh, when Jesus was born, um, uh, that uh, during that time when Jesus was born, there may have been some kind of astrological sign and um, the dragon may have been referring to... Um, an astrological uh, sign that the astrologers knew that there was a king being born, that there was a divine sign of, of, of a divine person, a, a, a kingly person being born at that time because there were the signs, those were the signs in the heavens. And so we don't really know that that has to do, I mean, this, this is just one interpretation that they say Lucifer was hurled from his high position. Like, it doesn't say that. It says the dragon. It, it doesn't say Lucifer. It says the dragon. In the account by the prophet Isaiah, Lucifer revolted against the throne of God. Again, we, we know that in the, in, the, in the account of Isaiah, um, the, the name is Hillel, not Lucifer. That's just, the, that's just the Latin Vulgate. That was the Latin translation. So anyway, this being revolted against the throne of God because he wanted to be like the Most High God, thereby falling from his place of glory through his pride. It doesn't actually say that. We, we read it already. Isaiah says that, um, that, that Hillel, he had it in his heart to make himself out to be like one of the Elohim, but he was just a man. He basically was just a man. Um, anyway, thereby falling from his place of glory through his pride. 
But yes, it does say mention that he was being he was being haughty and proud. Jesus said, "I saw Satan fell, or or, or Jesus said, "I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven." That's in Luke chapter ten, verse eighteen. Uh, and and it may have been that that was he was making a reference to the serpent that was in the Garden of Eden. I don't know, but we again we don't know what he was referring to. He was referring to Satan meeting the adversary, fall like lightning from heaven, which for Christians removes all doubt of Satan's existence and fall. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, it means the the enemy fell uh, from heaven, but uh, we don't really. It's like <clears throat> we don't know what he's referring to. Um. Because these are these are different stories in different books, and they're each one speaking about a specific event or a specific time and things that were happening in those times. So, uh, like the whole like mythology of about Lucifer being a fallen angel and taking a third of the angels with him is like a kind of a story that's made out of those those. Uh, these several stories that have to do with different things. They don't really have to do with the, the same thing. So they, they, aren't, they aren't really talking about the same account. Okay, so anyway. Though he lost the radiance and splendor that was reflected from the throne of the Lord, and with which he was anointed because of his exalted position, Lucifer at this point renamed Satan, uh, like Lucifer was never renamed Satan. Like that was just a again, Lucifer is just a name that was put in there in the in the Latin Vulgate, the translation of the Latin translation, and it never says that he he was renamed Satan. So those are things that just people make up. Okay, through the whole force of his own being and of his partners in angelic rebellion into a great cosmic war intended to disrupt God's divine plan and win for himself either terms of armistice with the creator or else ultimate triumph. It, again, uh, that is not in the Bible. The Bible does not talk about Lucifer, a being named Lucifer, and that he was renamed Satan, and that he, he caused an angelic rebellion. That is not in the Bible. That's not, that's not true. There, there's in in the book of Revelation there is allegorical, metaphorical language and prophetic language that has to be understood within its context. When when Jesus says, "I saw Satan fall like uh like lightning from heaven," uh, Jesus is talking something about something within that context. As a matter of fact, Jesus in that context. Because the disciples, he sent the disciples out to do, to like cast demons out and to heal the sick and to, to proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the, to proclaim the good news that the Messiah had come. And so when the disciples came back to Jesus, he said, they, they were telling him, we even, even the unclean spirits had to obey us. Like we had authority over the unclean spirits. They were, they were like marveling at that. And then in Jesus, in response to that, he says, you know, I saw Satan, I saw the enemy cast out of heaven like lightning, fall out of heaven like lightning. I mean, he was he was basically telling them, 
Don't don't be. Uh, and, and he continues on and says, and he says, I gave you all authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. Don't marvel at at the fact that you have authority over the unclean spirits. You know, instead, instead, be you know, thank God that you ha- that your names are written in heaven. That you're that you have a place in heaven. That you have a place in in my father's dwelling place, like that you have a place in God's dwelling place. Like you have a do you, that you have a, a place in God's company. That's what that's what was being said. That's what Jesus' point was. He he was saying basically he was saying, of course you have a place in God's company, and the enemy does not. The enemy was thrown out of God's company. He was he was cast out of God's company, and so yeah, it's it's kind of a reflection of like the the prophecy to the king of Tyre, but yeah, the king of Tyre was also kind of like in in that same kind of prophetic language, uh, um, you know, uh, like he was given he was given a prophecy that said that told him, you know. Like your arrogance has cast you down. Like I've cast you down. Like he, he in other words, the prophet is, is telling him that God has cast him down into a low place because the, of his arrogance, because he became arrogant and proud. Okay. But that doesn't necessarily have to do with the same thing that Jesus is talking about. Uh, uh, you know, all of God's enemies are cast out of his company. The, the, the whole idea of being cast away from God is throughout the whole Bible, and it doesn't necessarily have to be like it has to, doesn't necessarily be have to be talking about one person or a group of people. It's anybody who is rebellious to God, anyone who is an enemy of God, unless they repent and come to salvation in Jesus Christ. If you remain an enemy of God and die in your sin then you are cast out of God's presence and God's company. Meaning, if you're outside of God's company, if you're outside of God's presence, you're in hell because, because the only eternal life and the only real life and the only, and the only good place is in God's dwelling place, in, 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 where God is. It's in the company of God under his wings. You know, it's in, it's in, it's being close to God where we want to be. We don't want to be far away from God. You know, Jesus likens hell. He call, He basically calls hell uh, a valley that was uh, outside of Jerusalem. He says, he's basically saying, he said to, that hell is like being in the wilderness away from Jerusalem, outside of the holy city, outside of the presence of God, that you're that hell is like being in the wilderness, lost, being outside of God's presence. You see, that's the the, the everywhere in the Bible is talk. It talks about that we uh, salvation is being in God's presence, and and living with God in God's presence and dwelling in Him, and. Hell is being cast out of God's presence. So anyway, I'm going to finish this uh, section. 
uh, Satan's strategy evidently depended on the fallacious pr premise that because he had not been annihilated by divine wrath, God was incapable of such an action and was therefore neither infinite nor omnipotent. There is no delusion like self-delusion, and Satan became self-deceived. Satan's decision to pursue his own prideful goals rather than the will of the Creator caused him to wield the vast power and authority of his, at his command in spiritual warfare against the throne of the Eternal. In the third chapter of Genesis, Satan tempts Eve to sin through the same avenue of pride that paved the way for his down for his own downfall eons earlier. Although his handiwork was well known in the universe at large, already disrupted by sin and it, and its consequences, Satan had not yet succeeded in penetrating the Garden of Eden and subjecting this part of God's creation to his sphere of influence and power. But with the fall of Eve and Adam, Satan accomplished this goal too, though not, with, not without incurring the divine prophecy that the physical seed of the people that he had led to spiritual rebellion and physical destruction would someday crush him and bring about his ultimate destruction. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, as the last Adam, Jesus Christ accomplished this triumph through his death and resurrection. So, um, Satan accomplished his goal too, though notwithstanding, without, uh, not without incurring the divine prophecy that the physical seed of the people he had led to spiritual rebellion and physical destruction would someday crush him and bring about his ultimate destruction. Yeah, because uh, the prophecy was given by God to, to Eve. They said um, the offspring of the Nakash, the, of the Nakash, the, of the serpent, would strike the heel of the seed or the offspring of Eve, who was the mother of all the living. And, uh, and that the, the, the offspring of, of Eve would crush the head of the of the offspring of the nakash of the, or or that will they will they will crush the head of the nakash in other words so uh, but these all these stories all throughout the bible it it warns of the same thing that uh, pride comes before a downfall uh, before a destruction self destruction so don't be proud. Anyway, I'll pick it up. <laughs> I'll pick it up later on in the next section. God willing. God bless you. Good night.